Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Everybody, welcome back. We are chugging right along with our ridiculously popular AMAs and panels. If you are looking for Chris, he is going to be over in the post-session chat on the on the discord sorry i am like out of sleep and out of brain cells today um so ask that but what we want right now is all your very fantastic questions about production because i have with me three of my favorite people and producers in the industry i'm going to let we we're just going to go around clockwise because that's all i can really do at the moment (laughs) I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and then we're going to get into your questions. If you have questions, pop them in chat. Doesn't matter where you are, I'm going to see them, uh, and we'll get them answered live. So, Sarah, let's kick off with you. Sure. Hi, I'm Sarah Spires, and I am the senior producer over at PUBG, leading development on our features for PUBG Battlegrounds on PC and console. I also, in my free time, uh, run the IGDA Foundation as our interim executive director. And my background has typically been in the indie field, so this is my first time joining a bigger company, and I'm always excited to talk about what that experience is like. All right. Yeah. So, hi, I'm Junie. I am the Legacy Portfolio Manager at Paradox Interactive. It's not a production role per se. I'm currently looking for sales and business opportunities for uh, all titles that are no longer in active development. But prior to Paradox, I was at uh, a publisher called Sedesco for a little over five and a half years, where I built out the publishing production team and ran the porting studio. Um, And alongside uh, my work, I also run the game production community Discord server, a server of 3,000 plus industry professionals in production, project management, et cetera, kind of disciplines. So I keep myself busy. Um, my name is Heather Chandler, and I've been making games uh, for about 25 years. I started my career at Activision. I worked at EA, Ubisoft, Epic Games. I'm the former senior producer on, on Fortnite, and now I actually am a consultant, and I work with smaller indie games, so kind of the opposite arc that Sarah has. And it's been super exciting. I love games. I've written books about how to produce games. Um, I own an escape room, so I try to share my love of games and my knowledge of how to actually make games with as many people as I can. And I'm very excited to be here. All right. So let's start out with one that is, is the baseline for, for everything. And, and I love this question because there's no like real straight answer to do it. If someone is interested in getting, becoming a producer, getting into the production side of this, what is the education path? What is the career path? I know if I ask the three of you, you're all going to have very different answers. But for someone coming in fresh now, how do they get to be a producer? So (laughs) uh, for me, I feel like this is, well, I'm a programmer myself. So, you know, I have one of those colorful backgrounds. and, And if you ask anyone in the community that I run, they all have widely varying backgrounds and not a single one of them will say like, hey, I did this dedicated com- uh, production 
education somewhere. Um, so for me, I feel like the one thing that that matters is that you feel the organizational itch. You need to enjoy managing. You need to enjoy making sure that obstacles get cleared for your team members so they can excel at what they do. Uh, so I personally wouldn't say that there is a specific educational background. I think there is value in every background that can be brought uh, to the production discipline. Yeah, I would say when people ask me, hey, I'm interested in being a producer, specifically students or people who maybe haven't started their career in the games industry yet, find a game team. There are so many indie game teams out there. See what help they need. Start learning from the ground up. Read some project management books, you know, and really learn how that um, that works and figure out how can you bring value to putting process, organization, leadership into the teams that you're working on. That will go a long way when you apply for producer jobs at, at, at different types of company, because what they want is someone who can come in and pull together a bunch of different people, get them working on the same goal, pointed in the right direction, and that they all understand what it is that they're doing. Um, and like Judy said, you definitely need to want to have things organized. You also need to be somebody who can and talk and deal with people. And as we all knew, people can be very messy and there's some great aspects about being a producer and some not so great. Um, but you have to be comfortable dealing with people, helping them, giving feedback and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to hop in a little bit, too, because I was someone who set out to be a producer from, well, not really day one. I wanted to be a writer, and then I realized that that might be a more difficult path for me, specifically in games, and I wanted to be a producer. But I didn't go to a school that had um, a production program or games program or any kind of computer science programs. And so what I had to do was supplement my education with basically going and finding the community. So finding I know IGDA meetups, I think there was also some engine meetups, so there might be like uh, an Unreal meetup in your area, attending game jams, and then uh, like you were mentioning, Heather, like reading lots of books. Uh, I was very fortunate in that I was able to go to General Assembly project management boot camps on the weekend, um, and I basically just tried to figure out, you know, based off of like a job description, what are the things are they asking for? What are the skill sets that I don't have or I want to learn about? And then I basically built my own education that way but yeah uh if there's no one way i know some some colleges are starting to offer production paths but you don't need to go to school to be a producer if you are in school for being a producer great i'm not saying that that's not valuable that's super helpful but you absolutely don't need to feel like you need to go back or change paths or whatever to become a producer um, i love having produ producers on my teams that you know, have been engineers, designers, writers. It's very helpful. And and I think that that extra background only helps bring more value to the team, right? Back in the days when I worked for a publisher, we had a very simple method of, of finding and producing producers. After we plucked the people out of GameStop retail to be testers, we took the ones that were good testers and instantly made them producers. No training, no nothing. Just, hey, congratulations, you're a producer. Um, yeah, it's it's usually the folks that have, that, that's what I always tell people too, it's, it's the ones that have great communication skills and organization, which is also why I don't produce games anymore. Um, so, all right, Sarah, we're going to start here with you. Walk us through your typical day. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, every morning, stand up. Um, and then we have bug triage. So at uh, PUBG Madison, which is the specific office I work out of, we have four producers and we kind of run the show there. We have Some of us are, are more strike team focused and others are more department focused. So I work with our AP to triage all the defects that come in. And then I spend the remainder of my morning making sure that everyone has what they need to complete the work that we've assigned during our sprints. Um, and then the afternoon, I take time to do mentorship calls, one-on-ones, or write up documentation for process, because that's one of the things that we're currently working on at PUBG is building and documenting all of our processes. Um, and then at the end of the day, I go through, and I work mostly with our engineers. So I go through and look at all of the change logs that the engineers have submitted. I'll go, you know, um, chat with some folks over in Korea because that's when they typically get online. And then I usually end my day by just writing a summary to our studio leads about what we worked on that day. And then maybe I might have a meeting with Korea at like 8 p.m. But that's very infrequent. I'm not doing that every day. <laughs> Journey, any, any difference in there? Um, so I think, like, I admire that it sounds like this is some, something that repeats for you, Sarah, because that's... I try. I try. <laughs> My hardest. <laughs> that doesn't sound very familiar for me. For me, uh, every single day is different. Uh, as mentioned, like right now, my, my position isn't necessarily so much production focused, but the points that I try to stick to every day is that early in the morning, I will first catch up on any email that I've missed, update the task list that I've prepared the day before, um, review what meetings I have in that day, always different, uh, to make sure that I'm well prepared. Uh, and then from there, it's really just figuring out all the time that I have in between meetings and filling it with top priority down. Uh, and seeing what needs to be pushed to the next day. At the end of the, of the day, I will uh, prepare the task list for the next day, again, priority-based. Um, and in the end, that kind of comes down to that I will go through anywhere between five and 40 tasks in a day, and they will generally be different every single day. It can be anywhere from legal to user research to uh, dealing with uh, platform holders to submissions, which is currently heavily going on, um, to dealing with QA, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all over the place. All right, Heather, you're in a bit of a different boat because you're like me and we're old and people don't hire us anymore. So now we're consultants. <laughs> what does it's the- not because I'm old though. Uh, well, maybe it's not because I'm old either. Maybe it's something else about my personality. I have no <laughs> idea. Um, oh, and happy belated birthday. Heather did turn 29 yesterday. So um, what does a day in the life of a consulting producer look like? You know, that's that's a great question. It's a bit like Junie. Um you know, every day I have I have some steady clients that I work with that are all in different phases of game development. So I currently have a client who's um, getting some content ready to release for a platform. So that is spending a lot of time looking at the bugs, triaging them, working with the developers on what fixes need to be made reviewing the builds, you know, making sure that everything looks good. Um, for other groups, they're in pre-production. And so I spend a lot of time, they're getting their pitches together. So I'm reviewing their pitches, their budgets, their milestone plans, offering feedback and guidance. Um, sometimes they need me to help them hire. So I write job descriptions, do interviews and help them hire people. Um, sometimes they want to bring me in actually to consult and mentor a current production team. And so I have a client that had me do that where I came in, 
chatted with all the producers, kind of wrote up an audit, so to speak, about areas where things were going well, areas where they might want to look at doing some process changes. And so it's really kind of all over the map. And it's with large and small games. You know, I've worked, I think, on pretty much every platform, every type of game that you can have. And I think the one unifying thing around it is it's it's a role where you're helping people. So all of these tasks really roll into, I need help getting this thing done. Can you help me? And then you clearing that pathway or finding the piece of research they need or the resources in order to make that thing happen. I had a question and I don't know what it was. All right, I'm going to go to another. I just saw something. I'm going to let my ADD kick in here for a second. There was a post on Reddit this morning where someone recommended that uh, producers and, and programmers should use more clickbaity titles in Jira. So um, <laughs> I uh, I have enough. not been able to stop thinking about that all day. <laughs> we, all right. we did that at Filament. We had a task that was bring knife. And I don't know what it was for, but it just lived <laughs> here forever. So... <laughs> It was probably the next production meeting reminder. Yeah, um, probably. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So from Twitch, Heather mentioned finding a game team. So how do you start looking for a team that may need a producer? And there's a follow-up on here. David asked, you know, teams are usually small when they start out. And they, how do you, when do they need to bring a producer in? So it's kind of like from both sides. Anybody, um, so one of the this. ways of finding a game team is like at a very basic level, go to meetups, game development meetups in your community. Uh, I know in the area where I live, we have probably 20 indie game developers working on 20 different types of games. They go to these meetups or the drink ups. Um, they go through the IGDA. There are colleges where they'll probably have game clubs or things like that. Um, that's one way. There's something called the game dev map, which I think you can search for folks locally, and I'd start there. You might actually have a group of friends already that have expressed interest in making a game. I'm actually working with a team now that that's how it started. Two friends had this game idea 20 years ago. They are now bringing it to fruition. And so they are, you know, uh, starting their pre-production phase. So you have to find people that are interested in doing this. Um, you can also, I like to read the game industry news. And a lot of times they have little stories about small teams that are starting up. Go to Gamasutra, find, you know, go to Indeed. There's lots of different ways you can kind of find out what people are doing. And then you approach them and say, hey, let me intern with you or let me uh, provide some services for you because I want to learn alongside with you if you're kind of trying to get your foot in the door. Sarah, Junior, you have anything to add? Um, I think um, um, Heather also mentioned early on, like, go to Game Jams, especially if you're still a student. If you don't want to join something full time, uh, you can attend the Game Jam and start learning just a little bit about what all the different disciplines are doing, what kind of obstacles they run into, where you could help, where you could contribute. Just that, you, just the fact that you're not programming or an artist doesn't mean that you can't add significantly to uh, to that sort of thing. Um, and also, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be like finding a game team, but organize things like organize the game jam. And that means that yes. you're networking with all of these people that are currently trying to make games, either either something small during the game jam or in a broader sense. Um, as for the, the follow up question for for when to bring in a producer, um, I would imagine that that you already have some people that are doing a little bit of organizational work. 
even if you're a very small team, uh, that is something that if that person is interested in it, that you could cultivate, that you could broaden out. Um, and, and otherwise, you could always try to keep a finger on the pulse to with all of your team members, like how much are you doing that you really don't want to be doing because it's not part of your discipline, not because it's a, a junky task, but a, a no, annoying, dull, boring, etc. task, but that is honestly just like doing paperwork, finding uh, documents, like as Heather mentioned, all the tasks that don't relate to um, what they do best, basically, uh, and, and keep an eye on how much time they're spending on that. If, for example, you have four different team members and each of them is spending a day uh, work per week on tasks that aren't their core discipline, maybe that's a sign that it's it's start worth to, to look into uh, finding someone someone additional. Short answer is if you have started any sort of production at all, chances are you need a, a producer. Um, all right, so here's a, here's a fun one. What do you believe was your best or favorite production project? And so I'm going to start with Junie on this one. Uh, um, so some of the projects that have worked best were the ones where I felt like we had created a safe space between the development team and myself. And, and keep in mind, I, I come from a publishing production background, so I pri primarily work with external teams, which means that there was always some friction between myself and the development team that I was working with. So I usually had a development producer counterpart. And I liked it when we could be very open and honest. Um, I'm currently in a very, very trusting relationship with the development team that I'm working with right now. And it means that all those friction conversations become so much more comfortable, so much more smooth. Uh, you understand both sides. So that's been great. And I have a, a small uh, passion place in my heart for a, a, pro a project called Monster Crown, which is a little bit like a Pokemon-like, but darker, more mysterious, uh, grittier and that's more because I, I really like the game. Is that the one that if your your Pokemon dies, it's died, it's dead, that it doesn't come back? Um, there are a lot of Pokemon likes where that happens. So <laughs> I, I, I can remember if that's what I was thinking of. Uh, all right, so Heather, fa favorite project? So I can I answer with two? I'm going to answer with two. Short answer, Fortnite, of course, was an amazing experience because it's not very often that you get to work on a game that becomes part of sort of this national thing. There was a huge team working on it. And because I was, you know, a, a senior producer on it, I had multiple producers that were on my team. We were working with an amazing development team on something that people were really excited about. Because a lot of times when I say to people, hey, I, you know, I make video games, of course, they ask, oh, have you made anything? that I have played. And sometimes the answer is yes. So I worked on Tom Clancy thing. Well, maybe they might've heard of it, but everybody knows Fortnite. And I, and there's that little uh, bit of uh, endomorphin rush that you get when you're like, yeah, that's cool. I worked on that game. But I would say my favorite um, production project I've worked on is a game called Never Alone. I've spoken about this many times. It is a game that was developed in conjunction with the Inupiat tribe in Alaska, where they wanted to create a video game that reflected their culture because they wanted to share it with other people. But they didn't want it to just be an educational game. They wanted it to be like, you know, a viable entertainment thing where people would be like, I'm playing this game because it is fun and good. And we worked with the tribe directly with an inclusive development process 
where uh, the development team was, they were integrated together, not, they were, they were working remote, but um, the tribe really was very influential in the content, the stories, the gameplay, and everything that was done. And we created this very beautiful game that has shown that you can make these types of games that have a meaningful impact, but are also very fun to play. All right, Sarah. Oh, gosh. I mean, all of them. No. Um, uh, so there was actually a project I worked on recently Um called Wildflowers with uh, Studio Dry Dock, which is an Australia-based studio. But what I really loved about this project in particular is that the studio set out specifically to build a team of marginalized and underrepresented developers and help train them and give them experience so they actually have a shipped project on their title. And we developed, you know, like like you were saying, Judy, like a really great relationship with one another. We were very trusting one another. And it was really interesting because since we were spread out, I mean, all over the world, like folks in UK, Canada, United States, um, Australia, like everywhere, uh, we were able to kind of set our own um, work schedule and it was really interesting for me as a producer to try and reconcile like how that would work with a timeline um, but it was really awesome too because the project itself uh, was was very intentionally trying to be diverse we brought on cultural consultants as well to help uh, build the game and we were very very proud of what we created and I'm supposed to say it's out on arcade and you should play it um, <laughs> but, um, I'm going to play really it Thanks. It's kind of like it's going to be on PC console later this year, but uh, it's just it's a it's a lovely farming sim with magic, and and just it's something that I I, I don't see as much of. But um, yeah, I don't know. Every project is special in our hearts, right? Uh, but this one was really nice because it helped challenge me, I think, a lot more. And also selfishly, it was the first time that I became manager and had my own little team. That was really fun, and I and I think we're okay. We still talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think things went well, but that wildflowers always keeps a, a a very special place in my heart for sure. All right, so you are entirely free to to plug your stuff, no matter what, what it is. This is a plug free environment, um, which is going to get into our next question: uh, What is Heather's book, and what are other great books to read? So I did just post a link to yeah uh, Heather's list. book. It's one of the few times that I could say. No, she wrote the book on production because she like literally wrote the book on production. Um, so aside from that one, what are some other good sources for, for books to read on, on production? I would say I actually was talking to my son about this book the other day. It's called Creativity Inc. That was written by the guy that heads up Pixar. Um, and it talks about their process for how they make movies. And it's a really great read because it's a behind the scenes look, but it goes through all of the same issues that game development teams um, encounter on a regular basis, specifically because you're working in an area where you have creativity and technology coming together to work uh, for something that has got to go out in the world and entertain a lot of people. And there's just so many moving parts and so many places where things will con conflict with each other. Um, just figuring out and talking about how you wrangle all those people together to get them to make these really awesome uh, products. Yeah, that one's a really good one. I read it last year and I was like, dang, where was this when I was trying to get in production? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I also, I actually haven't gotten through all of it, but I'm really enjoying Radical Candor. Um, and then also, if you are really looking to get into production and you just want books that tell you some very 
hard skills. If you can get your hands on any of the Harvard Business School's 20-minute manager books, those are really helpful. Uh, my favorite is, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the name, but it's the one on, on having difficult conversations and giving feedback. That one's so yeah. helpful because giving feedback is an art form. <laughs> And we don't learn how to do that naturally. It's just being able to problem solve and help people feel empowered to change their own behavior. And like, it's not a shameful thing and it's something that they want to do too. Like that's important. Uh, so yeah. definitely recommend that book for sure. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna sound a bit like a broken record to some of the people in, in my community, but I always recommend The Culture Map by Aaron Myers because it helps you understand uh, cultures and backgrounds other than yours, and it helps you understand the ways in which different people can differ. Uh, it's not a definitive, uh, uh, complete overview, but it, it teaches you to think about those differences that exist. Always um, recommend The Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson as well, which is about building psychological safety in your team, building that trust, building uh, up, up that friction-free environment. Uh, and currently, my Discord community is having a book club on uh, a playful production process by Richard Lemarchand. Uh, so we're doing weekly sessions on reading through this book and, and leading, uh, learning together collaboratively. Uh, and in addition to that, there are so many books out there. Uh, we have a resource channel in, in the Discord server talking about plugging, um, where we have a list with so many different resources, including some annotations on what kind of topics they're about. All right, so can we talk about the different levels of, of geek that we have here? You work in games, level one. You decide to go into the production side of games, level two. You run and or are a member of a production-based Discord would be level three. You are having a book club around such things <laughs> has got to be level four. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm not even like 15 people a week are showing up for this. <laughs> Whoa. That's a lot. So like, we also had like, it's the kind of thing where uh, producers are, are the kind of person that when in your free time you are prompted with how would you design a roadmap to build a vending machine? Suddenly like five different people start discussing elaborate strategies about road mapping for a vending machine. And you're like, yeah, this is my crew. I know that sometimes I go eat at um, like the restaurants where you can build your own burrito talk or whatever and I'm sitting there evaluating how they have their line set up like oh it would be so much more efficient if they had this person doing that instead and kind of being like oh if they just hired me for a day they would get through this line so much faster you know <laughs> oh god I don't even know where to go from there <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right Next question. This gets into the whole difficult. No, that's not the right question. I obviously need more caffeine. All right. How do you move from a friction-based relationship to a more frictionless one? Um, I'm not going to say I know what Aaron's talking about here, but let's assume worst case scenario. Oh, I've had some direct experience with this. And I'd say, number one, don't shy away from the friction. Um, and don't let it make you uncomfortable because that's going to make it more difficult to deal with. But I would say the most general piece of advice I can give without really knowing the situation is you really want to put yourself in the other person's shoes and try to figure out what is creating that friction. Because once you understand that, you can speak to them in a way that they will 
hear and understand better, if that makes sense. I had uh, early in my career, there was a lead programmer I had to work with, and he was very uh, brusque and really kind of wrote off a lot of the things that I was wanting or wanted to do on the project or how I wanted to approach things or solve problems. And it was very frustrating for me. Um, but when I realized and put myself in his shoes and thought about, okay, well, how does this person bring value to the project? What did it, how is what they're doing helping the project become better? It really gained a different perspective of understanding. So I was able to go to him and be like, look, dude, I know that you care about this project as much as I do, and you are trying to make good choices but it is making it difficult for me to do my job because I'm supposed to be doing these things. How can we work together on this? And kind of opening yourself up to the idea that this person does not get along with you, but trying to work with them, knowing that you might be doing all the work on your side to make the relationship work. He did come around eventually. Um, so you, you just have to put time in it, but you can't shy away from it. Sarah? Yeah, no, this is this is tough because I've, I've also had kind of difficult relationships, although my experience was a little different. I don't think this is going to necessarily be universally applicable, but uh, I worked with the designer and he and I butted heads all the time, um, just over different things. And I know naturally production and design are kind of at odds, but this was like a lot. So what we actually did is we went out for lunch and we did an exercise on values. Um, and we talked about what's important to us, like on a team perspective, team values. Um, and so I remember distinctly his was very much like individual achievement and accomplishment and like feeling recognized. And mine was very much collaborative and like, uh, you know, having a, a very lighthearted environment. Um, and those are not necessarily at odds with one another. And so I was able to understand you know, again, like where his perspective, where he's coming from, where he feels like he's being valued, where he feels like he's not being valued. And I was able to communicate why I was being frustrated too, because while he was, you know, really interested in making sure that he felt like his contributions were important, which they were, uh, I was so focused on making everyone kind of like in, in the discussions in the picture as well. And, it, and he felt like a lot of his work was being negated. So we were able to find kind of that happy medium where he, he was being recognized for the work that he was doing well, and he should be recognized for that work. But also I felt like we weren't pushing aside anyone else and wound up having a great relationship after that. Um, but I, I agree, it, sometimes you're going to have to have d these difficult conversations and I think putting them off forever and just hoping that they resolve themselves is not how it's going to get resolved. Things will get worse. And so just having that conversation, if you can, will be helpful, right? Indie Game Business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket.
can't help but agree with what, what both of the ladies have been saying so far. I believe that we as people are all very different. We have a different background. We have different perspectives, experiences, et cetera. Um, so that also means that I feel like you shouldn't presume that you understand someone. I think you should presume that you are not working with bad people that are inherently bad. Uh, that friction is coming from somewhere. They have got a lot of things going on in their life that have absolutely nothing to do with you. Uh, that can be personal circumstances. It can be uh, just the way that they uh, uh, have been raised, that their background or culture is influencing the way that they speak and behave, etc. Um, I personally feel that noticing a sense of friction between yourself and another party implicates that there is room for growth for both of you. Uh, so it's, it's something that I always try to lean into. I do always give myself a little time. Sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's five hours, and sometimes it's five days. But that friction inspires me to act because there is room for learning. Um, when it comes to, because both of the, the ladies have been talking about friction with an individual, something that I've also, this is why I recommended the Fields Organization as a book, uh, is, is creating a sense of psychological safety with, within teams. Because I have personally experienced many times where I was dealing with, with friction with a complete development team externally. And um, that was either because of cultural differences, it, because, it was because expectations weren't clear, uh, it's because of stuff that they had going on, like there was another project that was eating up their time. There were always circumstances. So for me, uh, creating, trying to stimulate that sort of feeling of psychological safety by creating a framework of expectations, explicitly inviting feedback, making sure that you value uh, contributions from the experts, like ask in their expert opinion and then show them that you care about that. And then following up on any feedback that you get can help build that, that environment where people feel like they are valued, that they are trusted, that what they are doing matters. Um, and that can slowly, it, it can take a lot of time. Like in some cases it can take months, um, but over time you'll see improvement that's going to reduce that, that overall friction and slowly build into um, a more and more trusting, smooth relationship with your partners. I just, I don't, I can't even get into this because Aaron, you, Aaron knows me. Aaron, you know, the other side of this coin has put me in charge of it and I will deal with the friction, but it won't be with any sort of <laughs> walking away for five minutes or empathy or anything like that. I just, I don't. And it, this is why, again, I'm not a producer anymore. All right. Um, <laughs> What personal skills and habits have you developed that help you be successful as a producer or scrum master? I can't remember who I started with last time. So somebody go. All right, Heather. See, yep. if nobody steps up or I'm going to start yelling names. All right, yep. <laughs> um, I have, I use Todoist, which is basically a to-do software list. Um, I found that even in my personal life, keeping a to-do list of like, oh, these are the five or 10 or 20 things I'm going to do today and prioritizing that is super helpful. Um, also, so even as a producer, I would write down on a daily basis, you have like 15 things you need to do, writing that down, prioritizing it, making sure you stay focused on that. As I got older and wiser about being a producer, I realized that if I accomplished just two of those high priority things a day was actually great because I was driving myself nuts trying to complete the list every day. Um, the other thing is 
um, when you're a producer and you're in charge of scheduling meetings or getting people together, making sure that you are skilled at when you schedule these meetings. So understanding work ebbs and flows so that you're giving enough blocks of time for people to actually work versus getting interrupted by meetings all the time, which seems simple, but um, especially when I'm working on large teams and we have multiple meetings that needed to happen, people were constantly like at their desk for a half an hour, then they had to go to a meeting. And so just um, developing sort of, I guess, good meeting sense and then making sure that you keep the meetings as short as possible. Just because you schedule it for an hour doesn't mean you need to be there for an hour. If it's done in 10 minutes, you're done in 10 minutes. That should be your goal. And people are very happy when you give them back those extra minutes. Mm -hmm. So they can so. push it in the Jira. Sarah, Junie, y'all got anything to add there? I can say that I journal a lot. Uh, I think I mentioned this on a different talk I did with you, Jay. Um, so I have a producer journal where I write down all the problems that I'm tackling and I just, and how I, you know, what I'm struggling with and what I, you know, what I did to solve them. And this isn't something that I like share with the team or anything. It's just for me, uh, because a lot of the problems that I encounter as a producer are problems that I will encounter again and again and again in different forms. And sometimes I do not remember, like, uh, a lot of the problems I'm dealing with at PUBG are very similar to the problems that I dealt with when I worked with Scholastic. And you would not think that those are in any way, shape, or form the same things, but they're they're kind of the same, the same problems, different, different, you know, details. But that's been helpful. Um, the other thing that I recommend, it isn't really a skill or a habit, but being friends with people who are not producers. Now, producers are great. You want to have a producer friend. They're really helpful. I like to think that my friends appreciate that I'm the planner of the group. But having people that work in other disciplines can be really helpful in that you are able to gain a better understanding of their day-to-day -day problems and what they're struggling with. Um, I'm friends with a bunch of artists, and um, I, I really can empathize with them now. And um, I really understand a lot of what they're going through. And so I bring that into my work. Um, so when our art team is, you know, doing a bunch of stuff, I, I understand deeply what this process looks like for them now. And I'm able to better intuit what they need from the production team. I think for me, uh, I, as a, as a producer, as a product manager, et cetera, I want to help my team be the best that they can be. And for me to be able to do that, I need to be my own best. And that means that for me, I, I consider myself a lifelong learner with a growth mindset, it means that I acknowledge that I know that I know nothing, so I always have more to learn. Um, and that means that I very consciously dedicate time to reflecting on, just like, like Sarah mentioned, I, I don't journal per se, but I do roughly the same in the sense that I reflect on the stuff that I did the day before. Is there anything that I can, that I, I made a mistake or that I didn't handle very nicely that I could do better, that I can still fix. Um, but also making very conscious time for giving and receiving feedback, particularly inviting people to give me feedback if I can. Um, I also spend a lot of time very consciously reflecting on prioritization. I was covering that in the in the interview that I did with Shams earlier today as well, where uh, I, I consciously evaluate, is what I'm doing helping the team in the best way? Am I doing this the most effective and efficient way? Are there ways that we can do things better? Um, and I also try to very consciously uh, express gratitude for things that, that people have given as either feedback or um, 
work that was done excellently or, or something like that. Um, and, and what helps with that? Uh, I believe it's a little bit more vague, but I have set uh, a, a personal set of values that I attribute a lot of uh, uh, care and attention to. And that helps me in everything that I do. It means that when I'm trying to prioritize, I can reflect on the values that I've set for myself and evaluate, like, is this in line with what I care about? Is this important to me? Um, and yeah, I, I, as I said, like, it's, it's a little bit more vague, but it, it really drives uh, how I treat my work day in and day out. It's worth saying that that I one I know the three of you very well, and I've worked with all three of you in various ways, shapes, and forms over the years. These values that you talk about, one, all three of you share them because I know for a fact that I can ask Heather something if we're Heather and I are working together on something, and she knows or she has a catalog somewhere, or that you know, Sarah's got her journal. I ask Junie questions all the time, and Junie like quickly points me to that question that I asked her six months ago that was the same exact question <laughs> and her answer on it. So it's these values are not only something that make the three of you wonderful producers, it's also something that folks that are new to the industry or are just getting into the industry or want to get into the industry need to learn because this is how you stick around this industry for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. You can't just come at it, you know, full bore and expect to to not do that. So it, it is, it, it's fantastic that these are these things that we have to get out and we have to say because nobody else says them. Um, next one up, and I'm going to ask you this question because I don't even know what these two things are very <laughs> much anymore. Have you found Scrum or Kanban ideologies more useful in maintaining workflow? And does Agile, I'm going to add that because that's the other one I know. Does Agile <laughs> fall into that somewhere? Nobody, oh God, Sarah's giving me the uh, uh, Well, uh, that's the question we're asking at PUBG. Um, so... Uh... <laughs> I think it really depends on the kind of project you're making, the timeline you have, and the amount of resources. And I I feel like this could be its own talk because um, everyone has their feelings about Congratulations, you're now signed up for the next conference, Sarah. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, uh, and, and usually I've noticed all the, almost every studio I've worked at has done like Wagile, Waterfall Agile. <laughs> um, and so, I again, I really think it depends on kind of like the 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 boundaries that you have in the project, like the, the limitations, right? Um, because uh, my understanding is Scrum, there's a lot of like iteration and, uh, and and it can last for a very long time, but a lot of projects do have like a timeline that you need to follow and you have to do A before you do B and that's really waterfall. Um, so my non-answer, that's kind of an answer, is it's just really going to depend on those limitations that you have um, but if you are going to run like a scrum team, you need to have someone who is educated on that because uh, the whole purpose of scrum and agile or whatever is to be flexible and, and to change the process a little bit when you need to. But it's just used kind of wildly throughout this industry. I don't think any studio I've ever worked at has done the exact same thing. Um, so that's kind of my non-answer, but I'd love to hear what Heather and Judy have to say, because this is something that I, I don't know the answer to. I'd love to know what y'all think. <laughs> yeah, I would say in my experience, and I started in the industry before Scrum was even a thing, and they did do pure waterfall, where you would write up a three or 400 page design document, and then you would slowly start 
putting the code together and you'd say, hey, when's the game going to be ready to play? Well, two years from now, like there was not even a concept of creating a playable prototype and then iterating on it. You just designed it on paper. You spent two years making the game and then you hope that it all came together in the end. And then you could have it in beta for like six to eight months while you fixed bugs and, and got it shipped. Needless to say, there were a lot of canceled projects along the way. So when the concept of Scrum came along, which is an agile methodology, it got people really excited because it was a very different way of thinking about games that that actually worked more naturally with the flow and allowed people to say, I don't know what the answer is, but let's make a test or let's see if we can solve this now and get something playable. And then the concept of having something that you could play at any point, whether it was a good or bad iteration of it, really kind of changed that mindset to an iterative process, which I think works much better for games. Because now when you start a game, you can say, hey, I have this idea. Let's see if this core idea works first. And you use kind of Scrum. And to Sarah's point, like Scrum is, there is the correct way to do Scrum, which is what you get educated on. And then there's what most game development studios do. I'm not saying that either way is good or bad. I am actually an advocate of figuring out what process is going to work for your team as long as it keeps them moving forward and making progress on the game. And so using Scrum at the beginning when you're testing things out and you're really trying to answer a bunch of questions works great. After you've gotten up to alpha or beta and you have a more distinct understanding of what's needed, Kanban or Waterfall works really well, especially with things like art assets, because at some point you know I'm going to make this model or create this level and you already know what those steps are so you can just plan those out. So it's really, there's no good answer to this question, um, but I would say for me, it, the distinction becomes what what phase of the project are you in? If you're in pre-production and you're trying to answer questions, something agile like Scrum's going to work better. If you're late stage and you're trying to get shipped, then you don't have, then that's, you're not supposed to be iterating and answering questions at that point. You're supposed to be closing things down and getting the thing ready to release. So Kanban or Waterfall would work best. And and for me, like I've primarily been on the publishing production side. So everything that I've done has primarily been Waterfall. But from observing teams, I would probably even go a step further than what, what either of the others are saying in the sense that I believe that every project is a unicorn filled with unique creative snowflakes. Uh, that we are working in an ever-changing industry and uh, that our teams and the, the variables that go around that are changing all the time. So the only way that I believe you can properly manage this is by having an ever-changing process, a, cha a process that changes with your team members, with the phase of the project that you're in that is tailored to what you need. I mean, we uh, at Sedesco, we published over 50 titles in the time that I was there, and all of them work differently, different team sizes, different platforms, different genres, different timelines, et cetera, et cetera different ge uh, geographies, different office setups, et cetera. So keep figuring out what works best for your team and become a change culture, like become ready to keep adapting to whatever works best for who's on your team. I'm just going to sit here and nod my head like I know what <laughs> y'all are talking about. All right, so Aaron, um, Aaron, Aaron, I know Aaron. Aaron's a good guy, and Aaron is, I'm not going to say brand new, but relatively new to the industry, um, and he's a good producer. Any tips on utilizing Scrum from a pub publishing producer standpoint? A lot of the duties are different than dev production. 
Junie should answer this question. Yeah, I don't know. Well, to be honest, like, as I mentioned, I don't really have that much experience with Scrum at all because on the publishing production side, we've primarily used Waterfall. I think the, the key essence of like Scrum and Agile about keeping, uh, keep iterating, keep learning, keep changing along with, with the project that you're in, um, that can be applied to developing your publishing pipeline as well. So what we did do, even though we were dealing with development projects that were going through uh, um, Agile or, or which in whichever shape or form, and that didn't necessarily apply to our publishing processes uh, uh, on our side, we did keep developing our publishing processes. So the iterative sort of cycle that we went through to make our pipeline as smooth as possible for this very wide range uh, of project that we were dealing with in a sense was also very much like that. I've never actually compared it side by side to, to Scrum or, or any of the other methodologies, um, but I feel that there, there are learnings that you can draw um, that can be applied to your publishing processes at large, rather than to any individual, the work that you do for any individual title. Erin, I'll say, going back to the whole producing journal, note-taking, whatever, every time you come into one of these situations and you're trying to figure it out, write that shit down because it's going to come up again. I mean, that's just the way the industry is. As much as it changes, it all stays the same. And so over time, you'll be able to do things, you know, like, like Heather and Sarah talked about, where you merge this stuff. And that's when you become like farther along in this process than I ever was. All right. I am so glad that somebody asked this question that I didn't have to ask it and look like the, you know, token white dude on the panel. What is the gender balance in production? Is it more, is it more... Uh, is it more even than other game industry disciplines? I'd say from personal experience that I have definitely met more female producers than I have female um, engineers, artists, designers even. Um, so I think that there are probably a higher percentage working in game production, but it's, I mean, that's just based on my personal experience. <laughs> Yeah, I would say the same. Like I have only worked in a in a smaller publishing company and then at Paradox. Um, so my my perspective on this is very limited, but I can say that at Sedesco, I well, I wouldn't say I struggled, but almost I struggled with finding men. So at the point that that I had a, a, a man apply who was also a father of two children and he was part of another minority, I was like, you are going to like increase the diversity in my team like tenfold because I have this slew of fantastic women that are working with me. And this is fantastic, but this is because this doesn't happen in the industry, but like I could use some diversity, please. Um, I also am noticing that, uh, especially like in, in, in the Discord community, we have more women that are speaking up that are actively engaging and participating than the men are doing. So that is something that has kind of stood out to me in, in a positive positive light. So, yeah. I feel embarrassed because I don't have like any DEI stats on me <laughs> and I run a DEI org, but um, I would agree. Although it's fascinating because I, I, from like anecdotally, I also agree that I found that there's been more of a balance. Although I guess just my particular career, it's just been mostly guys that I've worked with and, um, that's fine. But I've, I've, I think over the years, though, we've seen more and more women get into production. And I think that that might be because there's slightly less gatekeeping this particular discipline than maybe other disciplines. Um, 
And I think that uh, there, and this is again, a conversation for a totally different panel, but I think that there's a lot of skills that are more abstract that people typically um, associate with women and that makes, I don't know, there's a lot of, uh, I actually didn't want to become a producer because I basically was like, oh my gosh, of course they want me to be a producer because it's basically like the team mom, but it's so much more than that um, for sure. But I think there there is some, and, and I really, again, I've seen more and more women join production, which is really awesome. Um, but I don't know, I don't have data for you. I'm so sorry. I was literally going through like the IGDA dev satisfaction surveys <laughs> the past week, trying to get data for a different thing. And I don't know. Uh, so right, I'm glad this came up because somebody on YouTube is going to take this out of context. Um, but the three of you know me and you know that I am not at all a, a, a sexist male chauvinist individual. Aside, the, I mean, taking it outside the quote-unquote team mom thing, do women make better producers because you women typically are more open to empathy and think? Because I know I'm not. I mean, I my wife tells me this constantly. She's like, you need to develop empathy. And I'm like, I'm 45. It's not going to happen at this point. <laughs> uh, okay. But, I just want to, okay, go ahead. <laughs> but I mean, without making this, I'm just like stereotyping gender role shit and all this do you, I'm not going to say do you feel, because that's just going to set y'all up to get in trouble too. Is that, I mean, I can totally see where it's not more gatekeeper-esque because you get so many people who don't want to be producers and they're like, oh, wait, they want to be a producer. Let them be a producer. Um, I would say this, and this probably will get taken out of context. I've just accepted it. Um, I think that at least uh, in the United States, women are taught to deal with other people's emotions and to be able to navigate other people's feelings. And that is something you have to do in production a lot. You have people with a lot of egos, you have people who don't speak up and you're trying to kind of navigate this team dynamic. I don't necessarily think that makes you a better, like I don't think women are naturally better producers per se, but I think that um, the way that we are raised sometimes make us family producers in a way um like in the sense of like we're managing people's schedules we're managing um and i'm saying this i don't want to give the context i'm from the south so like this is my kind of my background where i've learned basically to uh to do all these things i don't think i would necessarily say that we're better but i think that a lot of the skill sets that we've been socialized to have are some ways aligned with more people-oriented jobs Ugh, I don't know. This is a tough one. <laughs> I hope I'm not. I'm sorry if I've upset anyone. I'm just like, that's a really hard one. I mean, I, I look at my wife and she's got a job where she faces the, the public and she's fantastic at it and she loves it. And she's like, there's no way you could do this job. And I'm like, oh, I know. I'm well aware that I could not deal with the public every single day like you do and, and, and deal with it. Um, it I, it's just one of those things that popped in my head because it's like I, I can name a good dozen producers that I know in the industry. They're fantastic but the majority of them are women. I don't know. I think for me, like I am not a people producer at all. I <laughs> rolled into the publishing production side and I did not know what production was. And along the way I found like, Hey, I'm good at this. Um, the organizational part, but also doing the communication at a distance about uh, being on a more abstract level, more distance from the team. Uh, and later on I was hiring people and even 
the men that I was hiring, they were better at dealing with with the creative teams than I was because they were people people. Um, So in my experience, it can can go every which way. And I think that for me ties into what I was saying before about every project being a unicorn. Um, For me, every project, every team has a best fit for a producer and that depends on who the people in the team are. So if your team works a certain way, then there are specific kinds of producers that specific kind of people that are going to be better or worse producers for that specific team. Um, So for me, I, you know, Jay always repeats this in every single session, but like, it depends. It always depends. You can't make absolutes on this for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I just realized we only have like five minutes left and I could keep doing this for the next four hours. Um, There's a question that came in. It's a very good question. And because I, this <laughs> irritates the shit out of me because you see it all the time. People are like, so, so what do you do in the industry? It's like, well, I'm a producer. Oh, well, you don't, you don't make the game. It's like, well, no, but I make sure the damn game ships. What would it take for game producers to be as respected and worshipped as music and movie producers? That's a really interesting question. And I guess I have to ask, um, what is it about movie and music producers that people worship? And I think it really gets tied down to what is the movie? Is it a movie that everybody knows about? Cause I can tell you there was a huge difference between me saying, Hey, I'm a video game producer and I made X, Y, Z game that they may or may not have played versus I worked on Fortnite. Then people are like, Oh my gosh, like audible gas. That's so cool. And of course I was one of like several hundred people involved in this game. Um, so I think it really depends on, the games and how much people know about them and are aware of them outside of sort of just like the gamer culture. Like if your grandmother knows what Fortnite is, like that's a big deal. Does that make sense? I would also add that we need to better educate people on what producers do in this industry because no one seems to know. I also sometimes don't even know. And I've been doing this for seven years. And I and I think, too, like this attitude of we're like the no people and we tell everyone they can't do the thing. We have to stop framing us as like these fun gatekeepers because really we're mm. focusing on making sure that the project can get made in a sane way and that people are not dying over it. Right. Um, I think that will help because I, I mean, to be fair, I've met people who were totally would not talk to me because I was the producer They're like no you're gonna ruin my fun I'm like what are you talking about I'm making sure you don't work on weekends that's yeah. my job uh, and so just educating people what we do and also considering us part of the team uh, I think is another one because yeah maybe I'm not in the engine coding but I am part of the team and it's important like that's what you were saying like you worked on Fortnite right that's kind of what I get when I'm like I'm on PUBG people are like you're on PUBG I'm like yeah um but just a, explaining that we are playing a role and that we are not the the fun the fun gatekeepers, I think, is just so important. Because, yeah, like that's a question people have asked, like me me as well. Like, why why are you not like a film producer? I'm like, I don't know. We we typically like to we have this like history of celebrating our tours. Like, I I went to film school. And we had this whole thing, and it's like this one person. It's their one vision, and they do all that. And we don't really have that. In games, I mean, we have some like big names, but at the end of the day, like they worked with a lot of people, right? Um, and I think that that's partially the problem is we don't, there's not a pr- 
maybe there is one or two, but they're not a lot of producer archers. Like we're not like their project plants are the best I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my gosh, the way they run scrub is just great. Like we don't we don't do that. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying that we we shouldn't. Like if someone wants to say I'm a good scrub leader, but you know, but yeah, I don't oh know. Maybe God. that's why it's just very different. What we do is very different, and we have very different attitudes about producers in general. Judy, you want the last word? Yeah, so I'm going to give the anti-answer. Like, I don't really care about being respected or worshipped, especially publicly. Like, I, I couldn't care less. The thing that I care about is that I like, I, I feel rewarded when I feel like I've contributed to my team through who I am and my skill set and uh, what I what I can add to them, like the way that I've enabled them to be their best. Uh, sometimes that gets expressed by the individual team members. And that's fantastic when you get a DM that's saying like, hey, you did this this thing for me and that's great. And other times I can just see that I have just saved my team three days of work. I see that I've saved them having to crunch over the weekend. And then I feel like, you know what? you did a good job today. So if you want to eliminate crunch at your studio, get a good producer because that producer is the one that tells people like me on the business and executive side, when I, you know, James that I worked with for years constantly gives me shit about how I would just come into his office and go, Hey, now we're doing multiplayer and then walk back out. <laughs> it's the, the, <laughs> you have to have that person between you and me who is going to keep things sane and, and you know, stressed, I mean, stress-free. And so that's who your producer are. Love them, listen to them, respect them. All right, we've got to go because our next one is queuing up. But Sarah may not be, I'm not going to, you know, drop Sarah into the Discord because I know she's like crazy, crazy busy right now. Um, Heather and Junie, though, I will totally throw under the bus. They are on our Discord if you want to drop into the post-session chat, hang out, and ask questions feel free we actually have a load of good producers on our discord and then there's juni's discord which is literally producers so you you've got everything figured out there um yeah really you Yes. One tiny thing to add to that, we have mm -hmm. a post-production panel a, a hangout session actually right following this one yes. in our Discord server. So if you want to hang out with me and, and the other two ladies are very warmly invited to join us as well, uh, feel free to drop by. Uh, we're going to be hanging out for at least another hour, so come join us if you want. Drop that link in there. I've got to run and pick up my son, and then I'm going to be back to do – I just love these conferences. It's like I have so much spare time. Thank <laughs> you so much for the three of you doing this. You know you're some of my favorite people in the entire world, and I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And with that, stick around, everybody. Uh, Dan is coming up next with a talk on – the video game production pipeline. Holy shit, we're just like rolling on these things today. All yes. right. There you go. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business. <laughs>